2: <laughs> All right, hit that red button, Kyle. And we're live. Yep. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast, a podcast where we're hanging out with the Scotsman. Oh, right. So I want to welcome uh, Ross Hislop, is that right? Did I say that yeah, right? you got it. To the podcast. I'll tell the, uh, the audience that um, the story here is uh, an interesting one. So, so Ross is um, a longtime listener of the show and um, has been very gracious in interacting with us on social media and uh, just being a friend of the podcast. And then, out of the blue, he tells me he's going to be visiting the states uh, to attend his um, uh, was he goddaughter's yeah uh, my goddaughter's
3: uh, engagement
2: party engagement party in sunny Florida and uh, decided to uh, make the trip to cleveland to visit kyle and i so we're super duper excited about it um ross is a charming man he charmed he charmed aunt linda in no time flat when he came over to visit and uh uh that's where we are so we just wanted to jump on here and, and uh immortalize this uh conversation for everybody uh what
1: else kyle um i don't know man it's exciting the, the things are uh you know Things are out of order. I'm, uh, we're sitting in different places. I feel like maybe you should try to like scoot closer towards me or something. Yeah, I could try Len boys get the heat. I always, I also would like to try to figure out, like what happens if I click on this. Now, I don't want to hide it on stream, but I would like to To
2: switch what you see. Yeah.
1: yeah, probably not the best time to figure this out, but nope. Whatever.
2: Yeah. Oh damn it! So you got me all fumbled here. So this isn't the normal cadence, obviously. Um, usually it's Kyle and I with some idea of what we're going to talk about. I can't get any closer to you. This is it. Uh, but in this case, we're just going to wing it with, with Ross here. So uh, I don't know where to start. So I'm just going to say we, we had uh, a conversation last night over dinner. We had a conversation upstairs for like the last hour. So we've talked about just anything and everything. There's a couple things that I want to dive into deeper with you. Uh, that we talked about yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll just tell the audience the things that stuck out for me when we were getting to know one another is Ross's experience um, with, with, with natives in, is it Canada or Alaska? Canada. So the native people in Canada in, introduced to shamanism and traveling to India and having some pretty intense um, experiences there. That sort of blew me away hearing that from you yesterday, so we can talk about that. But uh, before we do, I want to ask you what, what do I want to ask you? What stands out in your memory about the podcast? Episodes that you've listened to, anything in particular that sticks in your mind when somebody, if somebody should ask you about the Two Tongues podcast, what is it that you're going to tell them? Hmm.
3: Your ability to bring Difficult questions, explaining them simply through your lens. It's very re- relatable. It's a relatable podcast, for me anyway. And um, episodes that I've listened to. Well, I only learned on the way up from Florida to Ohio that I have only started listening to you from uh, S1E29. 20, 29. 29, yeah. And so when I was looking back at all the ones that were played, I saw that there was actually twenty eight episodes prior to when I started listening to you uh, that I haven't yet listened to, so I've, I'm I'm up to date. I was a bit concerned that I wouldn't be. I've been really uh, ingesting your podcast in the last week because I knew it was coming over. It was all short notice, but here we are. And what I said to you last night was when I started listening to you, it was almost like it it, it was like hearing your own term your own internal dialogue your own internal thoughts that you don't perhaps share with the world being reflected through another voice Mm. and that's what got me hooked because i've been pretty much uh, intravenously listening to you consistently for the last year
2: that is um sincerely one of the best compliments that i can imagine so i thank you for that ross that's amazing Um, uh, I, like I said, I tried to explain this to you yesterday. Uh, I feel like I'm screaming into the void down here sometimes. Um, got a bunch of things that I want to say, a bunch of things that I'm interested in exploring, and you have to talk to think. I, I can do it if I'm talking, and I can do it if I'm writing, yeah. because it's kind of the same thing, like a dialogue back and forth with myself. But uh, and I told you there's not a lot of people in my life that give two shits about any of this stuff, so I, I don't get the chance to think about it. And that's kind of all I want to do. Like I, I'm i uh, passionate about this stuff. Um, so all I want to do is think about it. You know, there's no end to that for me. And um, if, again, because nobody, nobody wants to have that conversation. I come down here and I have it with myself or I have it with Kyle, who's obligated uh, based on 20, excuse me, based on 35 years of friendship. Long ass time. To listen to every goddamn word I have to say. I enjoy it. Uh, but then hearing you say that, Sounded like your own internal dialogue, and you're like, finally, somebody saying it and saying it in a way that makes helps me to make sense of it. I just can't tell you how, like, sincerely that is a compliment to me. It, it, I told you this last night, but I'm telling you, all, everyone who's listening. Um, it sort of justifies the the work, the effort that I'm putting into it, uh, just to know that there's somebody out there um, that it's been meaningful to. Even if it's just one person, even if it's just you, man, it's it's worth it. Um, because up until you know yesterday, it it, it felt like Maybe it was was into the void, you know?
3: Isn't that the most important thing, though, if we can just touch one person in our life? We don't have to... I think people think things have to be big. has to be that you've got to have mass coverage. But if you can just touch one person and, you know, get one person to think differently or change the way that they're living for the better, it's worth doing it.
2: So I already feel that way based on the conversation we had 20 minutes ago. I feel like uh, some of the stuff we were talking about upstairs about um, about spirits and marijuana in particular are things that I feel motivated to 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 do something about having this had that conversation with you. So so it's going both ways.
3: It's going both ways. Mm. It's good to be here. It's good to meet you. person.
1: <laughs> you know the intro to the podcast better than I do. I listen to it every time we do it, and I don't know it that well, man. That's impressive.
2: I'll tell you, one of the one of the. Best things about this experience, you coming over to visit, was when you came downstairs into my basement. Which, by the way, is um, it's an unfinished basement. It's like walking into a uh, to a a dungeon uh, to a dungeon. Yeah, it's not pretty. You walk down the steps and uh, open up the door to the podcast studio, and the smile on Ross's face. It was like it was like a kid going to Disneyland or something. It's like something that you've seen a million times, and the idea that you were here, I could just see the the joy, and it was just like just tremendous man it's
3: tremendous what an opportunity really but there's it's like if we don't take them we'll never see them you know really and i I use that analogy a lot with work and things like that as well it's like you know how many how many red cars did we pass on the way here today do you know A a handful i would assume okay but do you know that for true?
1: I, it might not have been a single one it okay. could, it's a possibility
3: but if i were to give you ten dollars for every red car before we left
1: i would have been paying i would have been counting absolutely. red car
3: absolutely and it's like how many opportunities do we see on a daily basis that we don't take advantage of and you know only being an hour and 54 minutes away from you i had to take that opportunity in your hospitality to allow me to be here it's just incredible and um it really is it's I think as we spoke last night it's we'll never know do we need to know what this might be just a one-off thing i you know i go back to scotland you go back about your business yep. that's it that's it what it is
2: and if that's the case it's it's every bit as valuable as if this becomes a, a lifelong friendship Absolutely. which i hope it does man. Absolutely. I hope it does man you
3: know it's there was never an agenda for that mm-hmm. it was just you know let's connect in a world where we're more connected than ever before there's actually no real connections. Absolutely. So to sit across the table from Kyle last night and look him in the eye yeah, and man. say, you know, you've changed my life. And you've helped me think better. You've allowed me, you've you've drawn me to make a journey to meet you through a podcast that's been done in, you know, your basement. And
1: you doing that, you having the interest and in being willing to come. You know, as, I mean, you know, I, my involvement with the podcast has dropped over the past few months, just because I've been going through some stuff and it, you know, just like makes you think about things differently when you have something happen, like your mom dying. It, it just, it throws a wrench into the gears, you know? So my, my involvement in the podcast has been, you know, not as much. Um I only, what well, this is the third one back. Yep. So it definitely knowing that we had that kind of effect on you uh definitely makes me want to do it more you know for sure okay so that's great yeah man isn't it absolutely so here's the thing
2: ross we did a bunch of getting to know you stuff already and uh, i'm sure there's a ton more we could do and maybe the audience would prefer that but i want to i want to open it up to you as a like listen i listen to lots of podcasts I never, ever, ever have had or can imagine having the opportunity to do what you're doing where I'm sitting down with Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan or somebody like that and asking them questions and you have them, right? You're listening to episodes and there's something you want to say or there's a question you have or do that. So is it is there anything like that that you will want to ask about or, uh, you know, clarify or, you know,
3: anything like that? So um, with yourself, Chris, mm-hmm. you're... You, you you articulate yourself very well. You're a good speaker. I know that you joke with them about them being a preacher, and that you yeah, yeah. Uh, you were going. To, but it was so fast, and it was a you know I listened to maybe two or three episodes at a time because I'm out walking the dogs for you know three hours at the weekend or what have you. So two episodes might go, and you know having the foresight to go back the way. But am I right to say that you? You, you you described it as like a failed PhD student. You were going to do your PhD, and life got in the way. What got in the way?
2: Huh. So so when you when you listen to the first twenty 28 episodes, you may hear that story. Oh, but I'll, okay. but I'll, no, I'll tell you. For it's been a while. So um, so my whole life, I was I don't know how to describe this other than to say fascinated with the idea of God. My my mom my mom tells a story when I was a little boy, like five years old. There was a Preacher on the TV, like uh, I don't know if, if you have this in Scotland, but on the weekends there's like uh, you know a couple of uh, evangelical preachers that have big programs in big churches, and and people who can't go, they'll have them on television. And so one of these things was on TV, and my mom comes into the living room, and I have my hand on the television because the preacher invited the audience to pray with him, and the preacher told me, as I'm you know sitting there in my living room, to come put my hand on on the television screen and pray with them. And, um, you know, I, I th- I think about this, like I was a naive kid. I was just a kid. I was five years old. There was an authority figure on TV who was compelling and he told me to do it. So I did it. Um, my mom comes in and she sees her little five-year-old boy with his hand on the TV praying with a televangelist. And so she tells this story like, a, like it's some sort of, um, foreshadowing of my relationship with God or, um, what my future was going to hold. Like my mom and my grandma maybe toyed with the idea that I might be a preacher, which is something we talked about on the podcast. And I laughed about, he by a way, preacher. but when you said that to me, you were like, what, you are a preacher. Um, then I realized you've got a, you've got a point. So it's been around as long as I can remember this interest in God. And when I started going to school, um, even before college, when I was in the last couple of years of high school, I got fascinated by, um, Trying to compare religions, trying to understand them and compare them, and I was interested in every religion that wasn't mine. I wanted to learn about everything, but I didn't give a shit about Christianity. I didn't want to dig into it. I, I thought I had it all. I had it all understood. What I wanted to learn about was Hinduism, Buddhism. You know, I wanted to learn about that stuff. Um, so I started doing a bunch of reading in high school about uh, flood myths how they appear everywhere. They appear in India, they appear in China, they appear in Greece, they appear everywhere. Just like the Noah story, and I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, there, what, what, there must be an explanation for that. What is the explanation? Are the, all these religions borrowing from each other? Did they all come from a single source? And these stories diverge as time goes on? Like, what's the explanation for that? Um, I used to work at a movie theater. Kyle worked there with me for a, a time. But you'd imagine I'm like a 16, 17 year old kid at the movie theater. And I, when, during the downtimes, I'm reading mythologies uh, of world religions, ancient mythologies, and I'm comparing oh, there's the god of uh, thunder over here, the god of the sky. And then I'm comparing that figure to all the other gods of thunder and gods of the sky, and trying to find some thread that connects them. Those are the kind of things I was doing. And uh, then I had a class in college, just a comparative religion class early in college. That just kind of put it over the top for me. The professor's name was Tim Davis. Uh, I just sent him an email not long ago, just to, after like you know more than a decade. Sent him an email just to thank him for for the influence that he was. Um, I never received a response. I don't know if he ever got the if he got the message, but but um, it, it made a big impact on me. So, um, at the time, I was I was engaged to be married to a girl I met in high school, a friend of mine in high school. Uh, we, I told you a little bit about this yesterday. She uh, she had a child from a mutual friend of ours um, and we started dating. Uh, my family wasn't thrilled about that, but you know I'm a teenage boy, I'm gonna do what I want. So uh, we dated for a while and uh, when we got married, I had to decide, do I continue in school? If that means that I have to go to graduate school where, I, where I'll be dedicated to, you know, Basically, a full-time job just in schoolwork, maybe even more than a full-time job just in schoolwork. How am I going to afford to take care of her and her child, family, my family? That's how I thought about it at the time. So I just had to make a choice, and I guess I just I've, I chased the money. I made that choice. I, I made what maybe was the wrong choice, but uh, in retrospect, you know, it's all it all worked out. You know, I'm not I'm not upset about my decision. But I could have continued right through, um, got my master's and my and my doctorate. Um, instead, I went into finance. Instead, I went into finance, and I got a job, and I took care of business. And then uh, uh, that whole marriage fell apart. And I told you a little bit about that yesterday. Um, I haven't seen the daughter that I helped raise. I haven't seen her, and uh, I mean she's like she's like twenty two years old. I haven't seen her since she was eleven. You know, so I made a big sacrifice uh, for something that didn't pan out. And um, I'm not really sore about it. Maybe it sounds like I am right now, but uh, I took a different path. And I'll, I'll tell you why I think it might be for the best. Because at the time, I didn't have this, I didn't know what it really was about the idea of God that I was so fascinated about. Like I thought I was gonna go to school for theology. And I talked to Professor Davis. I told, mentioned him a minute ago. and He told me, you know, it sounds to me like you want to study psychology. And I thought to him at the time, that was laughable. I thought, what I'm interested in is God. I want to know, that was my phone. I want to know what, what that means, that word, you know. And you're telling me that I should study psychology? Like, where is the connection? And I didn't ask him. I just shied away from it. And now it's come full circle where it turns out that psychology has a huge uh role in how we conceptualize god how we understand our relationship to god how can you understand what a human's relationship is to an abstraction if you don't if you don't understand human psychology how could you understand and i i wanted to know what the origin of the idea of god who came up with that idea and why like where did it come from what experience did a caveman have and the neolithic or the paleolithic What experience did they have that made them think there there must be a spirit that connects us there must be a life after death where did that come from it's fascinating to me um so now i've i've taken that path now i'm studying carl jung i'm studying jordan peterson i'm studying uh people like Eliade, and i'm I'm, you know that's more directly what i'm interested in and i don't think i ever would have got there um if i would have went to school for theology would I have ever got there? I don't know. On top of that, the environment of the college, the university environment, is the most toxic place today that I can imagine. And when I think to myself, you might be a tenured professor or trying to become a tenured professor in this environment, and that would be, that would be the rest of your life, the rest of your life dealing with all this craziness. Um, and I feel like I dodged a bullet in some ways. And that's all I have to say about that.
3: So you're in your opinion, scholarship is your PhD now, and that's it. And that that's brings exactly. you joy, and can see how lit up you get when you talk about it and listen to your podcast. You know the energy comes through the, <laughs> the headphones, and how excited you are. And it's a great connection with the two E's. It's great to hear.
2: Yeah, it's, um, and you you probably notice this, but there's a different dynamic if it's just me, or if it's me and Kyle. And I love that Kyle brings that components of the podcast and when you weren't coming um like last thing I wanted to do was tell you I wanted you to come back sure last thing I wanted to do is put some obligation some other obligation on your plate but like I missed you man like I I wanted I wanted to have those conversations with you and Kyle does things like pushes back on me which I don't do to myself right when I'm doing my solo podcast nobody says wait a minute that's, that might be bullshit. Kyle always does, you know, and I appreciate
1: that. I can't help myself, man. You know, I'm just a contrarian. Even if I agree, sometimes I find myself like, I just want to like find the holes, you know what I mean? Just uh, try to squirrel them out. Um, But we also, I mean, we talk about, we talk about some of the stuff that you talk about in your solos when we're together, but we talk about a lot of different stuff too. Yeah. Like you, You've done a few solos that are talking about more cultural, political, sociological things. But, you know, a lot of times you're you are more in the the uh, the psychological, the the spiritual, you know, yeah. that realm, uh, you know,
2: even even that is it was a fascinating thing for me to learn that the word psyche uh, soul. means soul. soul. So when we think of we use the word mind mostly when somebody says mind. That, what they mean, even though they don't know it, is soul. That's amazing. That's something I feel like we've lost.
1: We've lost our soul. We've lost our
2: soul. Yeah. Let's touch with it.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah.
3: So. Got some, sorry. No, Chad. you go no, ahead. No,
1: no, it was just. So you came, you found our podcast. I found this out yesterday oh, wait, through yeah. the uh, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross episode, which is. Far and away, our most popular episode still, and you kind of confirmed my theory for why it is our most
3: popular episode. And you, how did
1: you stumble upon it again?
3: So I was working uh, with ethnogens and looking at the psychotherapeutic value of ethnogens, and I was wanting to listen to the book.
1: Because you do a lot of walking.
3: And I do a lot of walking. It seemed easy and I just kind of clicked it into Spotify and I didn't really look at who was hosting it. it. I thought it was an audio book and it turned out it was a podcast with Kyle and Chris. Yes, indeed. And that was it. And then one podcast became... So how many after that? I don't know how many. It's
2: been it's it's got to be at least a couple of hundred, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be, gotta, and they're not short episodes. episodes. Well,
3: no, they're two hours long. Yeah, I've listened to everyone. God bless you, man. It's amazing, and it just kept it just keeps playing, doesn't it? You just keep walking, and it's then it's into the intro, and then it's into the exit, and into the intro, and into the exit, and yeah, it just yeah. fractally keeps moving mm-hmm. as I'm walking. So, um, yeah, that was where I that was where I got on it, got on the kick, and then it, it just it just got you hooked. Like I find myself getting edgy and craving to get out and get those headphones in and listen. Like I need more. I need more. It's great. I,
2: I feel that way. There's many times I feel that way. And the idea that somebody feels that way about my podcast is blowing my mind, man. <laughs> it's blowing my mind. It's great. Like my, my, my wife gets upset because a lot of times I'll have one headphone. I'll just have one in my ear, and I'll be doing chores around the house or I'll be like giving the kids a bath, and I, and I have a podcast playing. And she thinks it may be fairly sometimes that I uh, I'm not present because I'm always I'm always listening to it, but it's like and that again, there's probably some truth to that. Yes, uh, but I'm so eager to listen to it. I want to finish it that I'm that I find myself doing that.
3: Yeah, we get know? hooked in, don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's great. And it's um, I think for anybody listening and hearing this, the possibilities of like I told a couple of people that I was looking at coming out just randoms that I walked the dog with. And they said something like along the lines of, you know, it's amazing. It's these two probably just regular guys probably doing a podcast in their basement. And I'm like, no, they're not regular guys. And it's, it's not in their basement. You know, it's the <laughs> proper recording studio stuff, you know, don't, don't insult these guys, you know, and um, the power, the power of the internet and you know the, the the the, connections that can be made and reaching out. I don't even use Twitter but I'll I found that your platform's Twitter and that's where you, you said, you know, if you're following us, say hi on Twitter. All oh, right, they're on Twitter. I better go and check them out. And I lit up a Twitter account so that I could come and converse with you. And um I don't know what it was that was drawing me to come here. It sounds a little bit psycho-spiritual in itself, but I just knew I had to meet you and uh, I didn't know why, and I don't need to know why. And I was in a position, I'm fortunate to be in a position to be able to do that. And as we were talking about last night, the ripple effect, if you like, of throwing that stone into the water of coming and the effect that that's not only gonna have on any of the three of us in this room, but the effect that it's gonna have on us all moving forward. Now it might be nothing, it might be something. We don't need to know that, but if we never, we'll miss a hundred percent of the shots we don't take.
2: exactly.
3: Totally, we're gonna miss a hundred percent of the shots we don't take. And if you were to equate it to a financial figure of what it's cost or the energy that it took to come here, it's like if someone was really, really struggling would I give them that figure? With no strings? Absolutely. Hundred percent. But just there you go. Get yourself back up in your feet. Mm. And I think it's paying respect to yourself. So I'm paying respect to myself by seeing this journey out. Mm. It's gonna have a different fall different and it's gonna be you, Chris. And We'll never know until we make the connection of what's going to come of it, but there's no there's no agenda. It's just do something because it feels that you want to do it. I wanted to come here. I wanted to, I said that, I said that straight off. I said that to Alison when I started listening. I said, I want to meet these guys. These guys are incredible. And you know, you talk about Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. I don't listen to Jordan Peterson. I've maybe, I've maybe listened to a couple of things that he said. I've noticed that he went, he was, when I first listened to him, I couldn't, I found him very right wing. Mm. And then I kind of went, something's changed in his delivery. I'm wondering if his PA has said, you know, you're going to have to come back a bit to left to center a little bit. And I did find him a little bit more palatable. Uh, Joe Rogan, I've never listened to a full podcast with Joe Rogan. You guys have been the only podcast that I've really indulged myself in and lathered myself up in daily. And I get a lot out of it. And, you know, I'm, going to get something out of being here with you and is actually making that connection in person and it's like it's like throwing the intention out and then just letting it go and it's like coming here and you know like we were speaking last night and I goes it must have it must be it's, it's wild for me being here is what it must be for you and he went yeah like I've told some guys at work and like what if this guy's a mass murderer and he's going to take you away and put you in the, the trunk yeah. of your car? It's
2: like, he's not really
3: Scottish. He's, yeah. he's,
2: he's, he's not really traveling from, from overseas. Yeah. He's, he's, he knows everything about you and he's going to kill you. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. And that fear narrative holds us back, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does.
2: That's what's so impressive about your uh, decision to come here. Like, I don't know if we were talking about this or if it was the last time Kyle and I had recorded, but one of the things I mentioned is that I, I used, I like to see live music. And uh, as I get older, I do it less, you know. And one of the things that's happened is I bought tickets for me and my wife to go see some show. And then when the time comes, we're like, we don't want to go, so we just we just don't go. We just waste the tickets. And sometimes it's laziness or just whatever. Uh, we're we're tired. We had a, we had a you know longer week than we anticipated. We got other things on our plate, and we just decide not to do it. And that's just an example of how easy it is not to do something. And, yes. And when I met when I met you, the first thing I said to you was. Appreciate you coming because I know it was a sacrifice. It cost you money to come here. It cost you time to come here. It was an inconvenience. You're not here in the states to do this. So you know there was all kinds of opportunities for you to say it's not worth it, and you still came. You know,
3: but that's the that's those it's those two in opposing forces. I think that's the way I see it. We've got these two in opposing forces inside of us that are contradicting each other all the time, and one force has got an agenda for us not moving towards growth and expansion and completion and connection. Why would it, why would it want us to do that? It's got a stranglehold on us. And, uh, you know, my hobby is climbing mountains. We might talk about that, we might not, but I sit at the top of mountains and I look at them and I think it's been those two opposing forces somewhere where the tectonic plates have connected, they've hit and the power that they've hit each other at, depicts how high up they're going to go yeah those two and opposing forces live within us and it becomes almost too easy to give in to the part that doesn't want us to grow that doesn't want us to move forward that doesn't want us to have connection that wants us to stay in isolation that wants us to stay in the in our house that wants us to not go out and not grow Mm. exponentially
2: so the, okay what what is the thing in us that wants that for us because it sounds to me like we're talking about the devil it sounds to me like we're talking about a a, a malignant spirit and it's just a part of us and we have to constantly contend with it it's the it's the it's the old 1950s looney tune cartoons where the little devils on one shoulder and the little angels on the other what is that thing in us can it be
3: conquered i think the used the word devil I would agree with that I would would say it's a great way to describe it I think that that I think that if we look at it the again but until having a conversation about this stuff looking at it through the lens of duality is very very difficult it's like for me it's attempting to protect us somewhere it's like you don't want to do that so there is a part of protection involved in it, but very, very quickly that protection can become incarcerating. And yes, if we look at it through a lens of Luciferianism or you know self service, it's. I described it as a client to a client a couple of weeks ago. A guy comes in and he's clearly involved in uh, underworld activities. Mm. And I said to him, you know, like he's, he's 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 dancing on the wrong side of the law, let's say. And I thought I've got to explain this to him because you know he's 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 gonna walk out of here and not come back. And I want this guy to get some healing and some growth. So I said to him, if you imagine that you're selling five kilos a week for somebody, yeah, every week, you pick up five kilos. You deliver him a chunk of change. You could deliver him a big bag of money for that. And one night, you know, the heavens open up and God Almighty himself says, listen, the Holy Spirit's coming into your heart and you're born again and life's good and, you know, you need to turn your back on this stuff. So you're doing your last drop and you say, the guy says, your stuff's there and you go, I don't want to take it. Skies opened up last night. God himself appeared to me. My heart's bloomed open and I ain't doing it any longer. What do you think the chances are of you getting out that car? Do you think that guy's going to let you go? Not easily, not easily. And I think that our there's an aspect in our mind is self-serving and has an investment in us staying small and not growing and not moving forward and not moving into the light And I, anywhere that I'm ever stuck, I always take it back to evolution. If I get stuck and I can't answer a question or I can't I just go evolution you know the sun is a relatively new concept in the nature of our universe Mm. we are you know i believe there's a primordial memory somewhere at a cellular level locked within us that remembers the darkness much more than it does the light the light's a new concept Mm. that's
2: interesting
3: in the nature of our existence you know the nature of you know however old the universe is the sun's just in kindergarten in comparison so it's like we need to really nourish that aspect of ourself, which is then vulnerable. It's exposed, It's exposing us. We're, we're more seen in the light. We're more seen when we shine. And those, shall we call, demonic forces and others want us, don't, because in order for them to meet us, they've got to actually step up to meet us in that place of light or they're going to try and cut us down. So anytime that we step out, we're putting us, we're putting ourselves at risk of being cut down. Does that make
2: sense? That makes perfect sense. That's some insightful shit, my friend. <laughs> it, it reminds me of a, a Jordan Peterson quote where he says he talks about um, what's the therapy called? Um, uh, where you get used to a fear. Uh, uh, exposure. Exposure. He talks about exposure therapy. Where was it going with this? Um, oh, I'm losing it.
3: I'm witnessing you losing it. You are. I'm in the Two Tongues <laughs> podcast studio right now. Watching it happen. Watching it happen. It's like this quantum <laughs> computer's just...
2: I've got too many thoughts going on in my head because you said you talked about the devil as a uh, protecting mechanism. that The spirit that I'm referring to when I talk about the devil that's within us as something that's there for a reason. That there's there to protect us from something. Yes, which I'm, which I'm guessing has some there's some your not knowledge of trauma and working with trauma has some there's some more there that needs to be said about that. And that's very interesting to me, but even more interesting is the idea that that dark part that I'm calling the devil might be somehow related to that, that deep historical memory you just referenced, that we were the darkness before we became a combination of darkness and light, because that's how okay. I see us. Well, well, well.
3: Let's tell a story, yeah. And I'm possibly not going to get this accurately. So don't shoot the messenger, but I'll do the best that I possibly can with it. So if we look at ourselves as cells, trillions and trillions of cells that are inside our body. And let's just say, for an example, that if we look at the cell and we look at the microchondrial, the electrical potential, that's the oxygenating potential at the source of that cell. And that microchondria contains its own special DNA, which is different from the rest of our DNA, right? So it's a special little mitochondria that's creating this electrical potential that's the source of life. And it's, it's oxygenating. Now, through oxidative stress and some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier on around about cortisol and, you know, it being a biomarker for inflammation and that inflammation and that cellular level, the cell starts to become calcified. Let's say that these... the skin then stops the bioavailability of oxygen to go between the cell and the bloodstream. And then that oxygenating potential starts to drop. So it drops below a certain level and then there's a primordial memory that's ignited within that microscopic cell that remembers when it was breeding methane. So what the cell starts to do is the cell starts to ferment. It starts a fermentation process. Now, in the West, we call that cancer. So what the cell is attempting to do is it's attempting to survive because that's what we're all pre-programmed for, sure. We're pre-programmed for survival. So within a microscopic cell that, you know, you can't see with the human eye, you need to look at it underneath a microscope, somewhere within that, in the library of that cell, there's a primordial memory of when it breathed methane. It goes, oh, I remember this. Let's start fermenting. Now, it's trying to protect us, but it doesn't realise that that's actually going to have a detrimental effect to the organism and we're going to call that cancer. So if that's possible at a cellular memory, as we step out into the quantum field, we step out into the world, then surely somewhere part of our primordial programming, if you want to call it that, is still more associated to the darkness... Than whatever is going to be to the light, if the light's a relatively new concept. And we need to be educated. You take us, you take a fish out of dirty water and you put it into clean water, it'll excel, it'll do great, it'll do absolutely fantastic. The minute we put it back into dirty water again, what's it gonna do?
2: It's sick. It's gonna get sick. Yeah.
3: It's no brainer, it's not rocket science. Right. It's just through effective connections where there's trust and there's respect and we can allow each other to grow again and only through that vulnerability because walking I've got a theory around about the full moon like people turn around and say you know like things 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 go a bit wild in a full moon and I'm like well that's a bit goo goo and gobbledygook for me right but on a basic level if I was a organism out on the prairies on a full moon I have to be much more alert than when there's no moon because I'm going to get seen mm. because when there's a big white planet in the sky lighting up the prairies I've got to really be on guard and that on guard could lead to like hypervigilance paranoia checking out in the shadows what's going on yeah. right because I'm 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 bait to the bigger the bigger predators at that point so then the sun and walking in the light and shining and being who you can be immediately comes along with vulnerability. And who likes being vulnerable? Vulnerali to wound, you know, where, you know, it's like we, 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 we've encoded vulnerability as a wound. But in actual fact, it's our greatest strength. But in order to be vulnerable, like we're being right now, we need to have trust and be encouraged by each other to show up here today and talk about stuff that goes on inside our head, because it's going to be ridiculed and people are going to say, "What are you meeting? He's not even Scottish. He's going to murder you. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, I take it, but I'm going to take the risk, right? We're going to have fun and we're going to have laugh. And as we're laughing together, we're creating oxytocin, we're creating connection, we're healing. We're It's just amazing that this is available, you know, for... Less money than a weekend on crack. Why would you not do it? Why would you not do this? what do you think? I love it. <laughs> no.
2: I I I was trying to circle back to uh,
3: Oh I love that word. Now I'm hearing it. I love it. Circling back. That's I was trying, to, hear it. I
2: was trying um, to circle back to the thing that I lost earlier. It popped. it popped in my head. It's something about it was something about voluntarily voluntarily facing the, uh, the, the, um, phobia Remember, we were talking earlier about. Yes. It's,
1: I feel like you might need to lean into that mic a little bit more. Okay.
2: Yeah. I, I didn't want to yell into it. So yeah. Thank yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, the idea that, uh, if you take somebody who's aff- who's petrified of spiders and you want to get them unafraid, you have to uh, through that, through that exposure therapy, get them as close as they can to a spider until they are done. And then, them closer and let them tell you when they're done so you're never pushing them you're never forcing them and 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 jordan peterson said he's done this you know in practice for for decades that if you force them the phobias will not go away it has to be voluntary and then he ties that he ties that voluntary uh part to the story of christ saying that christ had to voluntarily sacrifice his life it wouldn't be the same if he didn't have a choice he had to choose to voluntarily now this was tied to the conversation we were having at but it's been several minutes we've covered a bunch of other topics so I'm struggling to reconnect that but that's that's where I was getting at what what comes to mind immediately so let's do an association game. what comes to mind when I tell you that because it might help me to it might help me to get back there.
3: Where we were at. We were talking about two in opposing forces. We were talking about the devil and the protection yes. and the darkness and somewhere in the darkness it's trying to protect us because that's new. You know, that, that that sunlight's new and we don't know what it's going to be like out there. So I'm going to hold you back from it. So there's kind of, it's like, it's like very quickly it protects, but the minute that it's got you in its clutches, it doesn't want to let you go, you know, and um, who wants to give up power?
2: Mm. So that reminds me of the old, the audible complex. Yeah. The devouring mother. Beautiful. Oh, love it. There's that story. Do you remember that story I told, uh, uh, um, I can't remember where it was from. Maybe it was, it was Aesop's fables. It was a story about a, a mother. I don't know if it was a human or an animal, if it was Aesop, maybe it was an animal, a mother that had two children, one child. She loves the other child. She, um, lets, she, she, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, neglects. And that's by design. The child that she loves, she holds, she bundles and holds close to her so much that she suffocates the child. And if it wasn't for the fact that she neglected the other one, the line would be, you know, the line wouldn't survive. If she would have, if she would have cradled them both close and loved them so much, she loved them to death, you know, loved them to death. And uh, there was something about love them to death that I was getting at, but I can't now, I can't remember. Um It's just the idea that something that something good can become toxic, something good can yes. become evil,
3: you know. And maybe but that's you, then that's us, then through our narrow lens of duality, where we talk about well, you, we now I'm involving myself, <laughs> but you know, like subjectivity and is objectivity actually a real thing? And you know, like, dare we say it that God is bad? You know. This is a great topic. God is bad. God is nasty. But it's like, one of the things that I learned recently, or I learned on that hike, I think if somebody said, so I went, I went and hiked around Mont Blanc before I did the Tour de Mont Blanc, before I went up Mont Blanc. So I'm traveling. What gets me into a hypnagonic trance, what gets me into that altered state of consciousness is anything after 8 to 10 miles my default mode network starts to drop and I start to fall into expansion. So I I love walking for that reason. And, uh, you know, day after day after day, you know, just doing 25, 30 miles every day. And I was in it. And I think my experience that I brought home with me was that if somebody said to me, how was your hike? Was it difficult? I can't truthfully answer you that. Because was the hike difficult? Was the heat that I was walking in difficult? Was some of the nights that I was in dorms made it difficult? What would have made it difficult? Because if we could isolate the hike, it's easy. But sometimes the food wasn't great. So my energy wasn't as high. Um, We can't isolate any experience if every experience is all happening all at once, simultaneously all around us. So good and bad are the same thing. Hallelujah, man. And good and bad are the same thing, in my opinion. It's not, it's only when we can start to drop through the lens of duality and see things through a more, such a shit word, but oneness lens, a lens of oneness, yeah. that there, there isn't actually any separation. And there isn't any separation. I'm here right now. The only thing that separates us is. is distance and time I've listened to you for a year I've listened to hundreds of episodes that you've done and as you're speaking I'm shouting I'm walking with headphones on going yes
2: (laughs) yes
3: that's it to both of you love it and it's like maybe we don't allow ourselves to connect at that level because in order to do that it's vulnerable yes and it's like, we've got to drop our default mode network. We've got to drop our ego. And we've got to reach out. That little voice didn't want me. Don't, don't reach out on Twitter. They're going to think you're a dick. What is that? Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, don't do that. And here I am, and I sat around the table. And it was as if, there was a slight nerves, but it's as if I've known you all my life. or Have I not known you all my life? Yes. There's yes. something within me that's known you before I've met you. Yes. And I don't know what that something is, but I'm willing to explore it.
2: Makes the hair stand up on my arms, right? <laughs> it really does. Make the hair stand up right now. You've heard me say that many times. It makes the hair stand up on my arms. There is something there's some there's something that within us that has known each other forever. Absolutely. And I believe that.
3: Absolutely. And is it is that part of our crusade, the Christopher Columbus and having to go out and having to own it? Does that make it limitless? Does that then make it? Does that then make it go away? Like that voice you hear when you're in med when you realise you're meditating, you're no longer meditating. You know, trying to explore what that something is is going to actually make it dissipate. So I don't want to explore what it is. I don't want to know what it is. I'm just opening my heart that it's there. There's a remembering. I see you, and I see you and that's enough
2: for me dude that's that's uh, that's so well put the
3: moment the moment
2: you realize the moment you remember you're meditating you're not meditating and you described your long hikes and i imagine when you said you get you get deep enough into the hike that your default mode network starts to fail that uh, you're talking about that feeling of being in the zone feeling where time time doesn't matter anymore and it's just experience and there are things that can be known I don't, I don't think that there's a difference between the word known and experiencing. I think that knowledge and experience are the same. We can, get into, we can get into the weeds on that, but I think that's the case. There are things that can be known strictly through experience. And the moment you intellectualize them,
3: it's unknowable. It. Absolutely. You have to be it. Yes.
2: And I, there, I've tried to explain that in a thousand ways on the podcast. When I say that I experienced being God. Like I, I know that God exists because I was, because I am God. And that just doesn't go over well. Nobody understands that. And you just articulated it in a fantastic way. It's a it's a knowledge through experience that is is only available through experience.
3: Absolutely. Because it only gets switched on through experience. Mm. And then trying to bring it back into two or three dimensional forum, you lose it. Mm. So learning to live in the counterintuitive, learning to inhabit the paradox. And one of the ways of living in the paradox is not trying to explain the paradox, because the minute you try to explain it, you lose it. The doubt that can be spoken of is happy. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Love it. True. And learning to just come here and share the gratitude Of what you've given me, if I were to put, so if we try and put, we try and and equate things in a financial figure, you know, what could I put into a financial figure, what listening to, let's just say, 250 hours of your time in a financial figure? Well, I can't really. But if you say, well, okay, but you've got to pay. For the therapeutic intervention that Kyle and Chris have given you over the last year, you've got to Ross, right? We're forcing you to write a check. What would it be? I can absolutely guarantee you that it would be much more than what it cost me to fly up here from Florida, <laughs> yeah, and uh-huh. get a get a room for a, for a night and you know whatever. You Bring know? it in, man.
2: I just want to touch <laughs> you. <Thank laughs> you.
1: You know, thank you.
3: And um, we <laughs> and it's it's like we get so caught up in the humdrum. Of, we, we, we have no idea because we became so singular—not singularity, but became so selfish, so omnipotent—or we're in our work and we're just going through our work. And I, I know that Kyle's been going through a hard time and that Kyle's not been here. As a brother, do I want Kyle to be going through that hard time? Absolutely not. But it's not my job to take his pain away. That's not my job. He needs to be in it for as long as he needs to be in it. That's his job. And I never came here with the intention to take that pain away. That's not my position. But if by coming here, he gets to hear that He's changed my life for the better. And somewhere that brings him back out to be able to give to his environment, give to people, then it's a really small price to pay, in my opinion. And if we all did more of that, what do you think the what do you think that electromagnetic field that we inhabit would look like? Different. It would look different.
2: I'm inspired, man. I want to, I'm inspired to go out, go out of my way above and beyond what I ordinarily would do to share gratitude. Absolutely. It's so important. Absolutely. Almost nothing better.
3: There is nothing better. There is absolutely nothing better.
2: I wonder if that appreciation, if that is what religious people mean by worship. Absolutely. And
3: it's... And it's, it's such a fridge magnet and there's knowing and there's knowing and it's like, oh, I'm so grateful or it's a fridge magnet and I'm just grateful for where I'm at right now. But it's, again, it's almost like it's being delivered through this psycho-spiritual circus that we're inhabiting that it's, it's, it's not actually being delivered because it's it's being said through an agonic perspective. It's not something what you say, it's what you do. It's really hard to describe what I, what, what, what I see. It's the words just keep coming into my head. How many times should I forgive my Lord? Well, seven times 70 times 70. That doesn't mean a mathematical equation in my mind. It just means all the fucking time. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Live it don't think it, live it, just be gratitude, just be love. And I love it's, it, man. It's, it's like, oh, I'm jumping about, I'm so excited to be here, and it's just, it's all coming out all gobbledygook, but it's like, if, if we are an electrochemical organism that lives in a biochemical bodysuit that inhabits an electromagnetic field, right, let's just think that that, that that's what we are, okay, Just humour me for a minute. So if we can measure the electrical amplitude of our brain from, let's just say for an argument, two centimetres off the top of our head, and we're communicating with that electromagnetic field from our mind, okay, that's cool. That's good. But if we can measure the electrical activity of the heart from six feet off of the body, what do you think would happen to that electromagnetic field if we started to communicate it from our heart's? where gratitude lives, where acceptance lives, where forgiveness lives. Because why are you so concerned with a speck of dust in your brother's eye and you're not prepared to take the plank of wood out of your own? Jesus said that 2,000 years ago and Freud spent his whole life putting that into a psychological thesis. And it's like, if I... I judge you I'm judging myself and I'm going to take myself out of the prison and I'm going to use you as my teacher because anything in you that I judge is showing a place that's either hidden or unseen in myself and I want to grow so I'm going to stop pointing my finger because there's three fingers pointing back at me and I'm going to actually use my environment as my teacher rather than my nemesis, because I no longer want to be stuck. There are far more men, there are far more summers behind me than there are in front of me, and I want to enjoy the rest of my life, and I want to live in this place, and I want to put the hard work in, because I, for me, it is far more freeing living in this place than it is in the purgatory that I lived in for the first 45 years of my life. It's, it's incredible the of your life being
2: like living subdued and and only now do you feel like you're I don't know what word to put it authentic and fr- and free to ex- I don't know I don't know what word to use the only thing I can compare that to is when I had my, my own mystical experience that I've talked about ad nauseum an experience that feels like it changed the course of my life that I'm not the same person. Like it's not entirely true. I've said this many times. There are all kinds of experience, maybe every experience, maybe every experience makes you a different person than you were. Every moment that ticks by, you're a different person. And there's all sorts of ways we can we can conceptualize that. I understand that to be the case. But the, then there is experiences like the mystical experience that I've described that was a it, it was an earthquake. It was a it was a catastrophic worldview change for me. And it made the world brighter. It, it, for me, it made, I've said this before, it, it, you, you probably remember me saying this. I had these moments where I look around, like a lot of times when I'm driving, I look at the trees, I look at the houses, I look at the lake, you know, the sun, sunrise, the glare, the snow, the rain, those sorts of things, the people. And I have these moments where I feel the way I felt when I was in the mystical experience. And I see them, everything I see as God and it's like there's still something that that is between me and the realization of that experience, but I feel like it's just behind the surface. If I could just scratch it, I, I, I everything that I experience and encounter is God, and I didn't have that before. And now I have this sort of magical way of viewing the world, and my and my behavior and everyone else's behavior, um, and it makes the rest of my life unique. It was like BCAD divide. There was before I had the mystical experience and after I had the mystical experience. And you're suggesting that there was 45 years of your life before that switch got flipped and now you're living in a different place, in a different body, in a different mind. Uh, talk, talk about that. I know we talked a little bit about that yesterday, but the audience has no idea what you mean.
3: I would say that for the first 45 years of my life, I was shame-based. I was living in shame and shame is the fuel of the ego it needs it to drive me and stay in duality but when I see myself as part of it all then I can live in awe and wonder and appreciation and become an alchemist of my own biochemical factory and start to tune this machine to whatever way I want it to be and I want it to live in expansion and not contraction any longer because contraction's fine for a little while but I don't want to hang out there long you know, the spring's got to get tight to pull me up into the thermos and allow me to fly and I'm willing to put whatever work that takes in. People are lazy, you know. People are fundamentally lazy and people don't want to change. They want to read a self-help book and they want to see the moment. They don't want to put in the work. It's, it's 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 fucking hard work. Do the hard thing. Do the fucking hard thing, man. It's get right. up off your fucking arse and do it. You know, face into it and choose your hard. You know, choose your hard. It's, 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 it's hard being poor. It's really, really hard being poor. But it's also really hard budgeting and it's really hard squirreling some money away and not buying shit you don't need to impress people you don't fucking know. Just stop it. Stop the shit, you know? And um, I'm willing to put in the work now because I've experienced what it's like to live in expansion and joy and have love fill my heart and, you know, give up the bitterness and the resentment and the anger. That anger done much more damage to the vessel that it was contained in than anybody I could ever spill it on. It's just not worth it for me.
2: So this this just popped into my head, and I want to share it with you. When I was – I told you when we were kids, we worked at a movie theater. It's this old movie theater. that had been around forever. I had this weird experience one time. I was working at the theater. This woman comes in with her kids, middle-aged woman with her kids, and I had an interaction with them at the concession stand. And uh, I walked by them. They were After the movie, they were sitting – the woman was sitting on a bench by the bathrooms. The kids were in the bathroom and she she pulled me aside and she said something to me i can't remember exactly what it was but she asked me like if i was a christian or something weird something weird that i wasn't expecting from a stranger and she said that it was the reason she asked me was because there was some air some spirit some something that was pouring off of me in the interaction with these kids that for her was refreshing and it was like a a recognition of kindness and enthusiasm and sincerity and something about the way I was interacting with them. She thought that I must be filled with the Holy spirit. As Christians like to say, I must be somebody who's religious because otherwise I wouldn't have had that interaction the way that I did with her kids. And I don't exactly know what that means. I kind of do. But when you were in um, having that conversation with, with my aunt earlier, you just you met her the way that you were so kind with her and uh, you know just the banter and the the love, I felt that way. I felt that way. I I look was looking at you and I felt like there's something more to Ross. There's some there's some enlarged spirit, some potent spirit that you you could tell, you could see it, and it's not something you see every day. It's not something you see in everyone. So I'm just, I, it just popped in my head, so I'm just sharing that with you. Man. Oh,
3: thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I do, I feel you, feel your honesty and your openness. But that's something's available to us all. And it's learning to master your own biochemical factory. It's learning to go for, for chemicals which which promote expansion versus contraction. You could use your analogy of the devil again. You could use that, you know, like, if there is a devil, does the devil believe in oneness, unity, love, joy, expansion and creativity? Or does the devil believe in isolation, loneliness, fear. And those components, when you're in any of them, the delivery system is dripping chemicals.
1: Do you think there's a consciousness to the devil? You know, like uh, you said, does the devil believe in uh, oneness or does he believe in, you know, the the isolation? Like, I think that the devil... Does believe in oneness and he fights against it. You know yes. what I mean? Uh It's like a. It, it's not that the devil believes that we're all isolated. It's that the devil knows that we are all that the oneness is there, and he's trying to get us to turn away from that.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would, That's how I see it too. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I would. I would align with that. That makes perfect sense to me. Yes. And it's got an investment. You know, there's always a secondary gain to all of the way that we're behaving. For me, I think that I had to wake up to the fact that I was... I had a compulsion to perhaps acting a certain way because it allowed me to be manipulative. And I was taking from my environment instead of giving to my environment.
1: I identify with that.
3: You know, and yeah. that 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 takes a lot of honesty. But when you get to the other side of the fence and you get to feel what it, it's like living in this body, uh, I think I need to give a bit of context around it because we've kind of just jumped right into this because we're all super excited. And those yes. of you listening, it's like, I've came from Scotland, I've met Kyle and Chris and we're just super excited. And it's like, <laughs> well, hi, everybody. I'm Ross and I'm from Scotland. I'm 50, 51 this year. I'll be 51 in November, 2023. And um your birthday's coming up. Yeah, this is All my right. birthday present to myself. Coming nice to meet, man. coming to meet, coming to meet you guys. And since 2008, I've been working as a counsellor, psychotherapist, and um, I work with an integrative model. I've studied, uh, I studied personal construct psychology, the work of George Kelly. I work f- basically from a psychoanalytic, psychodynamic perspective, where I see that the past is always present. Uh, but the present need not be our past. Uh, I've studied and have a qualification in cognitive behavioural therapy. Why? Because it gets you jobs. OK, it's quick. I don't necessarily agree with it. Person centred, I think, is a, a, a nice model that I've studied as well. That's my job. That's what I do now. And what got me into this was that I went to a party when I was 14. I had drugs and alcohol fuel party from the age of 14. Uh, and went on a seven-year bender, went on a seven-year flyer until I collapsed one day in my local town and couldn't go and my body shut, shut down on me. So I sought, I sought guidance from a therapist, I sought guidance from a counsellor and I went and started to explore and perhaps unpick the tapestry of my own patchwork quilt. And what, I'm sure there was many experiences prior to this, but I'm going to set the scene. I'm a 14-year-old boy and I'm walking down from school home and I come into the house and my mum's in the kitchen with my two aunts. My mum said, I've got something to tell you. Now, even a dumb 14-year-old knows that telling means I've got something to tell you, right? And she stood up from her chair and she walked through to her bedroom and she opened my father's wardrobe doors aggressively and walked out. And I'm left there. Standing in the middle of this big bedroom looking at these empty wardrobes and I'm thinking, oh, what's happened? There's no clothes in it. I'm going to make a guess that dad's left. And I noticed that as I started to get more honest with myself and more honest with my feelings and getting more emotionally intelligent about myself that, there was a moment in that experience where I noticed that my lips started to quiver and I felt a tightening in my throat. The Ross that walked out of that bedroom was a very different Ross from what walked into it. And I walked out that bedroom with bravado and a swagger and now I'm allowed to swear because something bad's happened. And I said, mm. I take it that fucking prick's left. And it was as if it was scripted. The phone went the minute I walked into the kitchen where my mum and my aunts were. And my mum went, it's for you. So in that moment, very, very quickly, I had to make a decision about who I'm aligning with, right? Because I need a home. I need to be protected. I need to be looked after. I need to be fed, right? So was it true how I felt with what I said, which was before I even heard who it was, I said, see you, you prick you can take yourself to fuck. I don't want anything to do with you, right? And hung up the phone. I then said to my mum, can I go out and play? And I jumped on my little BMX and I went away down to the local park and there were two punks sitting in the park and they were smoking like a metre long cigarette, a big long cigarette. And there was like a bag of cans full of alcohol. And I said, here, give me one of those cans. And they reached into the bag and they gave me it. And that was it. I went from not to 60 faster than an electric Tesla. I was instantly bang. That was my Tylenol for my headache. And that went on for seven years. And as I started to unpack that experience, one of the many experiences of where I abandoned myself, right? Sure, my father had abandoned the family. That's true. But my mother also abandoned me in that room. Where she didn't have the emotional capacity to be able to hold me in the experience of loss. She left me to deal with that myself yeah. as a 14-year-old guy. So very, very quickly, there was something happened in a nanosecond to protect me, was where I abandoned myself and became an adaptation, became a caricature, became an actor. So in my journey of recovering from drugs and alcohol, which began in April the 27th, 1993, I've not been creating anything new. I've been uncovering all the aspects of myself that I abandoned in order to navigate this painful planet. So those adaptations, they worked momentarily, but those adaptations could only be validated by external validation. There was no internal validation. And I learned very quickly that I couldn't feel anything like a compliment or you'd buy a Range Rover or a Rolex or a $500 pair of shoes. And they felt good for about 25 seconds. And there was no foundation because it was, the adaptation wasn't built in any sense of authenticity or authority. And the feelings would just go through it like a like like sand. So those aspects of myself were all shame based aspects. There was they were full of shame. And I believe that shame is what destroys consciousness and destroys growth. So, as I interpret the early creation story from a biblical perspective, and we look at the psychology that I've learned, the fundamental, the fundamental foundation of all psychology is pretty much thoughts, feelings, actions, what you think is electrical, what you feel is chemical, those chemicals, that Molotov cocktail of feeling, because we're not electrochemical, you can't say it fast enough, we're actually, electrochemical is the same thing, it happens at the same time, there's no delay, there's no Turbo lag. There's no boost lag. It's thought feeling. It's instant, and then action. So if we look at that Christian story, where the supposed Eve went, they were not allowed to eat from the tree, and they went down and ate the fruit from the, 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 the fruit from the forbidden tree, where the snake tempted Eve and. Uh, do you want to eat some of this? And Eve said, no, I'm not allowed. Who told you not to eat it? Well, God told me not to eat it. Why did God say you've not to eat it? Because I'll die. And the serpent laughed and said, you'll not die. You will know the difference between evil. So she thought, my and she ate it. And she shared them. And if we look at that early creation story, the very first thing that they did, so let's work backwards from psychology, thoughts, feelings, actions. The action that they took was that they covered their nakedness. You could explore what nakedness really means, vulnerability, creativity, whatever expression, self-expression, seeing the self as a self, whatever that looks like. But the feeling that's documented in a millennium-old text is shame. So shame works on the same neuroreceptor sites in the brain as illegal drugs and illegal drugs. Shame is also the fuel that the ego requires in order to keep the furnace of the d. the default mode network running right so shame is what took us from the fall into duality and the ego sees us as a separate so the only way that we can start to free ourselves forgive ourselves and that we are already forgiven is to let go of shame and see ourselves as innocent because we've actually not left the garden the garden has went anywhere it's still in exactly the same place it's always been so does that make any sense
2: So it's, it's, it's touching a nerve for me. Okay. Um, Like I'm, I'm feeling myself get caught up in this. So this, first of all, uh, I want to say it's a terrible experience that you shared. I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, We did an episode called shame, shame, shame. Do you remember that? Yep. Uh, I was trying desperately to say what you just said, something like what you just said. Um, I feel like shame is the enemy that I'm Whoa. dealing with right now. <sighs> it's the challenge for me at this moment. Uh, I feel it more and more all the time. And I was struggling to tell Kyle what I meant by that. Partly because what, what comes to my mind when I say, when, I, when the, the example that immediately comes to my mind, I'm literally too ashamed to say it. So I didn't tell, I didn't tell you. Uh, I'm not going to say it here. But another example could, did come to me. I was at a, uh, I was at a wedding. And um, everybody was dancing, and I'm not a good dancer. My children were at the wedding, and they wanted to dance. And I sat there like a stick in the in the mud. Didn't want to go out and dance. I did for the sake of my girls because I wanted them to have the experience. They were in a joyful moment, and I was keeping them from experiencing that. That's selfish terribly selfish. So I got over my shame and I went out there and I was a goofball in front of people that I'll never see again. And I, 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 why, why would the fear of embarrassing myself in front of strangers keep me from doing that for my kids? So I, I got over it. I danced. That's another example is what, what possible outcome could there be to get up and dance in public? You're going to have fun. You, you know, even if you are goofy, People are going to think it's funny and you can laugh with them and you can enjoy it. It doesn't have to be a situation that prevents me from living, but I do think that shame prevents me from living. I think it prevents me from something that I can't quite put my finger on. There's some something to be gained by conquering it and I don't know what it is. Maybe I do know what it is, but it's not conscious to me what that is, um, so all the, Everything you're saying about shame and about it being the enemy of consciousness, it's just – it's its ringing of truth, and I don't know what it is that I need, but something that you're saying is resonating with me, so I'm just telling
1: you. So I, I, I remember that episode, and I I see clearly what you mean now. I do see how shame would do that, but do you – I don't know if you remember that episode that well, but I was pushing back on Chris, and I like when you do something that you know is wrong. Um, do you not think that that is shame? That is that is telling you that what is what? I is, would
3: say that is guilt. Guilt. Okay. Guilt is guilt is that you've done something wrong. Shame is that you are wrong. Okay, I can see that delineation. So personally I don't see any value in shame other than to keep us out of the garden whereas guilt is actually if used effectively as a good tool for morality okay um, okay that was maybe a bit kind, a good tool for morality but it's a good gauger yeah. it's a good it's a good gauge but even in this moment okay so in this moment what I noticed and I had to really work on it to come back to connection, was Chris said, we would need to listen it back. But what I heard was, I'm triggered by what you just said. So my brain took me into, Buck. he doesn't agree with me. So then because of that, I actually then couldn't hear what he was saying. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So it's almost like... I had, I noticed that my brain put up the wall, but I desperately wanted to hear what he was saying. And I had interpreted it completely wrong. Right. So I wasn't all in on what he was saying. I was more than 50% in, but there was a part of me not because I, what I thought he said, what I, what I heard through my lens was, I don't agree with you. Right. It was the opposite, Yeah, the
2: opposite,
3: yeah. But only through allowing myself to hear you could I get drawn back into connection because that aspect of me wanted to interpret what you said as I don't agree with you to get me out the room. And I went, I'm not going out the room. Thank you for trying to pull me out the room, yeah, but there was a very small part of me left. And then I listened and then I went, and then I'm back into the room again with you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how often do we do that? All the time, all the time, ta- all the time. <laughs> All the time. Stupid fucks.
2: (laughs) That's that that being present in the moment stuff. It's all cliche self-help stuff, but it's so true. It's so true, you know? Listen, we're conscious beings. Why don't we be conscious? Why don't don't we be aware and present?
3: Yeah, but, you know, Jesus said that the the devil is the prince of the earth. And, um, you know... Uh, this is the devil's planet and consciousness is not meant to repeat itself, yeah consciousness is meant to expand, it's fractal, it's meant to keep going, yeah, it's meant to keep just like lava coming down the side of a volcano, it's meant to just keep pouring but when we, I got this so clear, you won't know it, but there's a show in the UK called East Enders, East End of London, East Enders right, it's been on on a Tuesday and a Thursday for as long as I can remember I actually nearly went to Google it, right, and see when it started. So I've really been thinking about this, uh, Jesus said that the devil is the prince of the earth and how the devil has got a major investment in us just repeating patterns and thinking that we're getting out of the maze. But we're not. We're just going round the maze. We're just going round, and round the maze. And I was, I'd was, i finished a busy day at work and I jumped on and I don't watch normal TV. I just go to Netflix or Amazon Prime
1: mm-hmm.
3: or Apple TV. But in order to get one of those apps open, I've got a, the normal TVs there behind it. And it was EastEnders, right? And I'm looking at it. And it's the same actors and they've all aged and they don't look good. (laughs) And I'm looking at it and I'm like, whoa, that's been on since I was about 10. That's 40 years of Tuesday and Thursday. How many people my age have watched that all their life and their kids and grandkids are coming in to visit them and that's blaring in the corner of the living room and every Tuesday... And every Thursday at 7 p.m., they turn on the telly and anchor themselves into that old familiar pattern, yeah, that's got the devil rubbing his hands together and going, I've got them just repeating the same pattern over and over for their whole life on this planet, scrolling through shit and TikTok, scrolling through the same pattern. Yes. Instead of actually allowing yourself to surrender to the ocean of continuation and just be held in the river and flow and grow. It's, it's amazing. Uh, this book,
2: we've been talking about this book, Paralandra.
3: Um C.S. Lewis? Yes.
2: There's a scene in this book where um, the main character goes from Earth to Venus, and he finds himself um, confronted with an alien being who lives on Venus. And the experience of Venus, by the way, is... Um, an ocean world. And he's at first when he gets there, he's just floating in this, all, all these crazy waves. It's dangerous and terif- terrifying. Then he finds himself like a floating island of vegetation. And that's how the, that's how the continents are on. on they're described like these big floating islands, but they're, they're like undulating with the waves. So the land is always moving. And on one of these islands that comes close to him, he sees a, another being there. It's a woman. And he goes out and and the whole imagery is, of, of Adam and Eve, he he's a he he gets there. He's naked when he arrives. He's on this virgin planet, and there's all these. Uh, when he finds this woman, who's this only woman there? All the animals there are like are like her servants. They're all like tending to her, and they're all around her all the time. And you get this Adam and Eve sort of motif uh, in the story. And uh, where the fuck was I going with this? Um, Jesus Christ! For- oh oh, uh, he she was describing. She was describing how. God who she calls Maleldil God sends experiences at you in waves like the waves that she exists on she's accustomed to getting whatever's coming and why and she's talking about like why should you not be excited why should you not be grateful of whatever wave comes your way because absolutely. it's all a gift from God absolutely and that's how she's describing it absolutely and he he tells her he says when you saw me you thought i was the king king is like her at her Adam, and she's lost him on the island somewhere because it's a big floating world she's lost him and when she sees ransom the main character she thinks that's her Adam, that's that's the king and she's disappointed when she sees him that it's not the king and he tries to explain to her that when she when you saw me when you saw R- ransom you thought i was somebody else and for a moment you were disappointed and then it, then it dawned on her that she was that she had wanted something And what she received wasn't what she wanted, and for the first moment she realized, and she says this in this beautiful way, she says, "Oh, I should just try to find it." She says, um, "In fact, I'll let me let me find it, have it written down." This is amazing. She says,
1: "Sorry, bear with me." What does she say? Yeah, fuck it.
2: She says <laughs> something like she she felt like she was – suddenly she was – man, how do I say this? Suddenly she was responsible for how she felt about what was coming at her. Up until that moment when she realized – when he pointed out that she had her own opinion about what was happening, she just rode the wave. Whatever came to her was good, and that was experience, and that was all good. It was, you know, it was like this innocent perspective. And then when she realized that she was, in fact, disappointed, that she wanted something else than what she received, that suddenly she had the experience of being an I, of having her own experience, of her own opinion, and what God was sending her, all of a sudden was, uh, she said she was no longer floating on the wave, but she was swimming in it. That's how she described it. Before, she was just part of the experience of the wave. And now she has an opinion about about the wave, um, and it was this interesting, different version of the of the uh, becoming conscious story. Oh yeah, yeah, I've <laughs> heard it on the podcast a hundred times. Russ, you go upstairs and pee, and we'll talk amongst ourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just an interesting twist on this uh, story from the Garden of Eden about the birth of, of consciousness, and her and her description was. Uh, noticing the difference between being a part of the wave and then suddenly finding herself riding it out of her control mm-hmm. you know like she's suddenly a, a she's suddenly a separate from the experience you know yeah it's beautiful I don't know if you remember that scene. I do yeah, yeah 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 man so now that Ross has stepped away let's talk about him <laughs> This, is, this has been good. I do feel like i uh, uh, dominating the conversation too much. So you, you
1: I, I've been concentrating on, because we're not all on camera easily, yeah. so I've been just kind of, you know. I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. Doing the Jamie business. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, I did, one of the cameras just popped out of existence there. Did you see that? I had to, like, put it back on the screen. Oh, that's weird. I hope it didn't fuck anything up. Yeah, Probably not. Yeah. I is. mean, either way, we've still got. Hindenburg. I guess,
2: I guess we'll find out. Yeah. We shall see that, that shame topic. Like there's a couple things he said that struck a chord with me. Uh, it happened once when I was talking to Josh Hamilton, one of those episodes I did with him where he, he was talking about something about uh, like the role of a father in like um, the role of a father in like communicating to his kids that they're doing uh what they should be doing, that they're, that he's probably that, that, that they know that what they're doing is good. Mm. And that a father's role is to show them what you're doing is good or bad. And there was something he said about that that like struck me, man. It like almost brought tears to my eyes. And, um, anyway, I just, just had a couple of moments like that during this conversation. It's really interesting how we almost started crying. It's just like your emotions tell you something. If you not quite great and that's what i was having is whatever it is i'm I'm th- I'm feeling because it's not a it's not a thought yet i'm feeling something and i'm trying to ex- explain it like in real time you know yeah how'd everything come out ross good
3: oh i couldn't I, I, i'm just so stoked to be here i went up there for a piece pay- the real it's surreal, isn't it? It's amazing. When we, we you were talking about the C.S. Lewis thing in my head went into that association that we make, you know, the 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 what I was thinking about was when I was up the stairs having a pee was, you know, the tree gives out oxygen. Yeah. And we take that in. And then we give out carbon and the tree takes that in. Yeah. And never once in that exchange does the oxygen say it's more important than the carbon. And it's like that bottleneck, you know, that nobody taught us how to be with the bottleneck and nobody actually taught us how to be with the expansion. It's like you were talking about things, waves, things come at us in waves. And that's what it's like. It's like we go through periods in our life where it's expansive and lucrative Mm. and periods where it's, it's tight and can be challenging and difficult. And it's meant to be like that. But the minute that we feel ourselves starting to spiral, if you want, or slide towards the bottleneck, it's almost like we start fighting it. Mm, And the resistance of suffering creates more suffering. Yeah. And our mind's making an association to the past time when it was difficult. And it's never going to be the same because you you can't stand in the same river twice. Mm. But then you go into the tight one and you make an association to it, and you're hooked. Now, you're meant to go into a difficult time. You're meant to, Mm. but you're maybe only meant to be there for moments or hours. We end up in it for months and years. That's not what's intended for us because things have got to get tight in order for them to expand Mm. out again. And likewise, when we're in the expansion, we get an association to them, and we don't want it to end. We don't want the good times to end. So then we're hooked either into the good times and we get hooked into the bad times and we're like a ping pong in a ping pong machine just getting battered about instead of just surrendering. Just keep surrendering. And the more that you surrender, the more you get to experience it all as it is.
2: What comes to my mind when you say that surrendering? Because I agree with you. That's the... um... Ab- abandonment of self it's the ego death sort of situation um, um ab- abandoning hold on I, I lost it again i do that man i can start i try to get poetic i start. i start rambling and then i lose it kyle laughs because he fucking knows all the time um,
3: say it again <laughs> Learning to live in the counter, you you know, when we learn to live in that counterintuitive, learning to live in the paradox, things are meant to get tight, things are meant to get hard. So that, like a kite flying in the thermos, it can't stay up there all the time. You've got to bring it down to let it catch the thermos to pull it back up again. You know, things are dying and being reborn and opening up, and you know, we've not been taught effectively. I remember. I remember what it was, in Islam, um,
2: in Islam in particular, they have this idea, of Islam means submission, right? It's the idea that you have to submit yourself to God, you have to defer your will to God's will. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, not that that's exclusive to Islam, it's, that's, a common, that's a relatively common idea, but I think that's uh, related as a religious idea. The idea of submission to God is something like what
3: you were describing. Yeah, and submission and domination are the same thing. But when you use the word dominate, you immediately get a dark image, perhaps, of a woman with black leather and a whip. (laughs) Maybe. Dominating. Dominating. But to fully dominate your experience, it's it's the same side of the same coin. Submission is domination. Yes. Yes. You can only... You can only dominate your environment. You can only control your mind when you can submit to it. Mm. Yes. So it's like the difference of we walk through our life thinking we're God. We've not really learned that we are God. It's only through living in the paradox that by letting go of trying to control and being controlled, then we can actually live in creation because, you know, creation and destruction is the same thing, but most of us are destroying our lives and destroying our planet instead of creating and being the masters, but instead of being a passive passenger, actually being a conscious creator and yes. living in co-creation and interdependency Instead, what we do is we somehow swing between being independent and dependent in relationships instead of ex- our own acceptance around about our own right to be conscious creators of our own reality mm. and learning to live in interdependency. I think the difficult thing about that for people's psyche is that in order to get to interdependency, you've got to be okay and enter it through being okay with dependency, which throws up all of our childhood yes, traumas. If you like, you'll never enter interdependency through the paradigm of independence. You can only enter into interdependency and co-creation through dependency and vulnerability, because vulnerability is our ultimate strength and creativity. No.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got this. I've got this idea of um, there's. A, it's an orthodox doctrine. Um, It's about emptying yourself. What's it called? Has it, has it, it, no, what's,
1: um. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, there's
2: a, there's a, there's an idea that, uh, that when you empty yourself, when you empty yourself of yourself, you won't be empty. You'll be filled. It's like you're, you're in the way of being filled with your true spirit, which is God. And if you empty yourself of yourself, you won't find yourself empty. You'll find yourself filled with God. And that's an idea that i i don't i, I love mm. i don't know i don't understand it entirely but i it,
3: it's it's, it's beautiful. intriguing to me it's Yes, beautiful it is it's almost like scarcity consciousness mm. we're holding on to a purse full of pennies not willing to open them up to be filled full of fifty dollar notes right, right you know it's like that vacuum that's full of pennies Yeah. Mm. Not willing to open up and release it and let it go is stopping us from it being filled up with the worth that it could fill. It's like that scarcity consciousness.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Not
3: wanting not wanting to let go of our illusion of control. Mm. And that's all it is.
2: And that's all it is. There's something that Jordan Peterson said that he said something to me that's not to me. This is me falling into that same trap you were in earlier. Jordan Peterson said something once, he said something along the lines of, you can't escape tragedy, it's coming for you, you know? So you have to learn, you have to learn how to do that. And I think until I heard him say that, that I didn't exactly believe that. Like I was trying to convince myself that, that 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 wasn't true but with enough time every one of us is going to have the death of our parent the death of our you know somebody we love somebody's going to be sick and suffering somebody's going to be become poor they're going to have trauma it's inevitable you can't avoid it you know and we we pretend we live our lives pretending like we can you know mm-hmm. and so we don't prepare and and that's Kind of the entire point. It's the self-creation you were talking about. How we bounce back from those tragedies, how we rebuild ourselves. That is a that is a self-creation that we're constantly in the process of doing. We're going to continue to hit those obstacles that are going to cause us to have to repair ourselves. The same as when we lift weights and our muscles have to repair themselves. We're building up something. And... We are the ones – I love the phrase you used earlier about being a, an alchemist with yourself. What was that word, that phrase you used? It was An alchemist of our
3: own biochemical factory. Yes.
2: God damn it. That's awesome. The alchemist of our own biochemical factory, that we, we are self-created. Yeah. We, we participate in the act of creation that started with God or our parents or, or both, and we continue to, to have the power to, to craft and form ourselves what we're going to be in the future. Um, I got a little off track there, but God damn,
3: that's amazing. Isn't it just, isn't it? And, you know, having the, having the desire to change your paradigm and do something different. And it's, you said, you know, like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, and i'm just curious have you emailed joe and said you'd like to come meet him never no have you I, emailed jordan and yes yeah yes i
2: emailed really? i emailed i emailed I, I can pull it up for you it was about 20 2019 i think i sent jordan an email to his university of um uh where was he at you uh up in toronto Canada, toronto i sent an email to his U U toronto address like a it was like a page long. I was trying to keep it brief, but I was like struggling. (laughs) Uh, but then he shortly after that, he, uh, lost his job, lost his job there. So I don't think he ever will ever see it. Yeah.
3: Okay. So one email, one email. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that's enough? Is that enough reps to make something? Is that enough to bring the forum list into forum?
2: I think what I wanted when I sent that message was to express gratitude. So it was enough was it enough for me to get it off of my heart? Yes. Kind of. But was it effective? Did it land? No, probably not. Does that mean there's more to be done? Do I have some
3: obligation? I don't know. What do you think? I'm, I don't know. My intention for you is to be on Jordan Peterson's podcast, if that's what you want to do. i just love to have step, a chat with him. <laughs> just just step out and make it happen. Mm. You know, I think that we limit ourselves so much. Mm. Yes. And you know, you know, God will move mountains for us, but we need to walk towards them with a shovel. So funny, uh, I, I was re-listening to my episode on uh, Aesop's
2: Fables, uh-huh. and that was one of the fables. It was a, a, a like a paragraph story about a ship uh, that goes down, and all the Greeks are sinking and they're dying, and one of the men is crying louder than all the others, and he's just floating there, screaming, and and treading water. And one of the one of the soldiers beside him says, um, you know, you you can ask Athena for to save you. Ask her. You know, because that's what he was screaming. Save me, Athena, save me. I'm I'm dying. He said, ask him. Ask Athena to save you all you want, but move your arms. Move your fucking arms. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
3: And the possibilities yet. I don't know. We're living in a culture which is so self-serving and so so all about self right now that it's rather than it's it's what can we take rather than what can we give yes and um, you know how can i give myself more to my environment and you know rather than trying to take validation from it but there again the system requires us to be disconnected uh, from self because if, it you know, plastic surgery is a billion-dollar industry. The drugs, the illegal drugs market is a billion-dollar industry. The alcohol taxation market is a billion-dollar industry. Now, if we were all connected, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. You know, and yeah. if we were connected to our hearts and ourselves and a more effective biochemical response to our environment, then would we need plastic surgery? Would we need drugs? Would we need alcohol? Probably not. No. Oh, so there's an in, there's an investment, and that's me talking about something that I know nothing about, which is politics. Mm-hmm. There's a political investment in society being disconnected because mm-hmm. then it gets to keep the corporate wheel going. Mm-hmm. Yet if we were all connected and we were all free in ourselves, and happy with what we have, Rather than chasing an invisible god and worshiping the god of greed, gluttony, money, etc., then, you know, yeah,
2: yeah, huh? Kyle, you been quiet, man? You got any questions to ask, Ross?
1: Yeah, I, you know. So earlier in this podcast, you said that you had, uh, you know, dabbled with Jordan Peterson and you found him a bit right wing. Uh, and you just said that you you don't like involve yourself in politics too much. I know that in America and in a lot of Europe, like. I, I almost get the impression that our left wing is like the right wing over there,
3: you know, um, OK. You know what I so yes, I would say right wing's probably quite there again, we were speaking about that very right is very because mm-hmm. I think you're conservative and you're liberal or socialist no, are I, different
1: I'm more like in terms of American politics anyways, I would be considered right wing and well, so, I, I I don't know i, I I do think that I've become more right-wing. Uh, I've become more right-wing as I've gotten older. But in terms of, like, European politics, I would be, like, very far right-wing, uh, you know? So I just, like, wonder, like, how do I – when I get to talking about, like, cultural and political things, especially because um, one way that I try to be on the podcast is not – I try not to like hold back. I try to like say what I think and not really worry if it hurts people's feelings, um, because I just think there's a lot too much of that going on, you know, like yeah. you be honest, say how you feel and let the chips fall as they may, you know. Yep. Uh, so I do wonder, like if you got the impression that Jordan Peterson is right wing, I would consider myself more right wing than Jordan Peterson. So I just wonder like how I come off to you uh, in the podcast
3: not like fundamentalist at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it as. Yeah. I would not, that
1: is definitely not a word that I would use to describe myself as fundamentalist, especially in terms of religion. No. Um, I, that, that's the big thing that pulled me toward orthodoxy is there is a more philosophical way of thinking about these things than, um, than that fundamentalist, you know, the earth is 6,000 years old. Um, that type of a thing, uh, taking everything completely literally.
3: Um, so yeah, I, I was just curious about that. From a, if, again, if you're using that word religious, although Chris seems to talk more about God, yeah, I've probably learned I'm more intrigued about your religious stance. Yeah. Than Chris's. Although Chris is the one that bangs on about it more. Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's like your journey is um, has interested me. Yeah. You know, how you've spoke about. Because through the year of me listening to you, you've went from, oh, no, well, that's not true because I've only listened to episode one on the way up here, which was where you were an anarchist. Yeah. yeah. Like, but So I never knew that because I came in at, <laughs> at um, S1E29. Yeah. right.
1: I, I was still pretty... I was still kind of in, in my like, an cap phase back and anar- anarcho-capitalist kind of phase back then. And I mean, honestly, I still do value things from that tradition that, that, you know, those philosophical ideas, there are some of them that I still, and, you know, parts of all of it that I I still value. But, um, I don't know, I, I've definitely changed a lot. And it's interesting that there's like this, like record of my change, you yeah, know, it like is. A yes. partial audio, partial video record of my, uh, my transformation Um,
3: and the Orthodox Christianity stuff. it, It made me go and look at it. Yeah. And I was like, that's fascinating. And I think for me, when I listen to you, is it important what you're studying or is it important that you're studying it? And I think for me, it's more important that you're studying it rather than what you're studying. Sure. Because I think, as having a, a commitment to one thing is really, really important, rather than it being scattered in a, I think it's much more beneficial for me to follow one belief system and do that very well, because that allows me to experience God rather than having to know a plethora of exp- of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that anything within that plethora is wrong. Sure. I'm just saying that you can cut yourself too thin. Oh, so yeah. I like the fact that when you go into something, you go into the ritualistic aspects of it because that's where the value comes from. Mm-hmm. That's how I see you as you talk.
1: Absolutely. I, I see that. I also think that my interest, I feel, I feel like Chris's interest in God and things like that. I don't, I don't want to say that it strictly has to do with like origin and the source that you talk about all the time, uh, but I feel like you do concentrate more on that. And I, especially over the last few years, I look for a. Um, like a mode of behaving in the world, you know what I mean. I want that uh, that guide, you know, that that thing that tells me what is right and what is wrong, and how I should be interacting in the world. You know, like we we were just talking about shame, and you've said the the, the difference between shame and guilt. Like that's what I'm interested in. Like what when I feel that guilt or that shame. You know, I I, I want to know like the importance of those things and why it, why are certain things right and certain things wrong. You know, um, that is kind of where I've been. In, I don't know the last uh, at, at least the last year. You know for sure. Um, it's just kind of been the the area I've li- living in. So the way you
2: described it, Kyle, is uh, I agree. I, I that's enti- that's entirely right. The way that you what interests you in the religious pursuit and what interests me in the religious pursuit, I think that religion, the idea of God surrounds two concepts. The first one is creation. Like that's what God is, creator. The fact that there's something rather than nothing, that's one. The other one is morality. Mm. So people say that because God exists, it implies a, a morality. It implies um, it, 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 it carries with it rules for behavior. And that, for some reason, doesn't interest me as much as the former. Yeah, and, and I see that because because you, one question you asked me one time was, "Oh, you said okay. Given that, what is your belief when you say when you say you are God? What does that mean for your behavior?" You asked me that question. Like, okay, fine, but what does that mean? And for you, that's what's important. What
1: what religion means is how you should behave. So I mean, I. I'm with you in that the creation interests me as well. You know, I, I want to know that, um, but I think that, I don't know, I think on some level I just think I'm never going to know until I'm like re- re- incorporated into it in a, in a more complete way than I am now. Um, but I do have, I think the reason that I'm concerned about it is that If you, if we're not concerned about it, we end up in, you know, like terrible, doing terrible, terrible things, you know? Yeah. So Mm.
3: that's fascinated me. You, 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 that's a question that I've asked myself a lot that if we're not involved in it, we'll end up doing terrible, terrible things. And it's very much a question of morality. And I don't know if I'm educated or articulate enough to bring it into forum what my inner thoughts are around it. The Old Testament to me and the Ten Commandments are written to the ego. And if we look at the time that surrounded 600 BC when the Mesopotamians, came, Babylonians, came out, Mesopotamian, they were very hedonistic in nature. Then there was a tablet delivered for them as a moral code for how to live your life. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was uh, it was very much for, in my perspective. Theologists could wrap me down. I'm not a theologist. I'm very new to biblical studies. And for me, the Old Testament is written to try and tame the ego of man in that hedonistic way that it was 600 BC. Mm-hmm. Yet when the disciples said to Jesus, "Jesus, which one of the Ten Commandments should I live my life by?" Jesus said, "None. They're all shite. I give you one commandment to rule over all commandments. I give you the commandment of love." And if you were in your heart, would you steal? Would you kill? Would you covet another man's wife? No, because love disempowers the ego because shame and love can't live in the same room. And I question what we're saying. All demonic forces want to be released back to the light. I think that everybody wants to be forgiven completely with no judgment. I think that we do want to be released from the prison that we've incarcerated ourselves in. And I bring a terrible, terrible example, but Portugal uh, created a drugs policy in 2004, which saw 64% less deaths. So what actually causes us to act out, is it the fact that we want retribution and when there's something that we want to push against you know, like, you go to Amsterdam, it's all the stupid uh, tourists that go and smoke dope consistently and go to the Red Life District, mm-hmm. yet the people that actually live there might have a joint on a Thursday night or whatever, and that's it. They don't do it all the time. When it's available, it's the fact that it's wrong that makes us compulsed to go and do it. Why? Because shame is more addictive than any illegal drug <laughs> on the planet. Right? So if there wasn't any shame around about what we do, would we need a code to live by and would we be doing destructive things? No, the only reason we're doing destructive things is because shame is the most addictive, in my opinion, substance on this planet. And we're gonna keep doing behaviors in order for us to be shame-based. Put $1,000 on our race and lose it. You come out, what's the feeling? Shame. You've been sober for 20 years. You go out and get absolutely kindled up on the on the liquor. Before you've even opened your eyes, what's the very first thing you feel? Shame. What's the very first thing you do? Have another drink. Because of our own repetition compulsion disorder, what we do is we think the thing that put it there will actually release us from the compulsion. And it gives us a moment of freedom. But all of a sudden, the walls just close in round about us again. So I I... I I've not got an answer, but I question that fact that, well, would we? Would we be out of control? I don't know. It's so interesting. But the minute that they decriminalized all drugs in Portugal, less people used them and more people are surviving and not dying. Mm
2: -hmm. It's a very libertarian thing you just said, Ross. It's a a relatively right-wing thought that you just had. whoa. The idea of the idea of decriminalizing um uh drugs making and prostitution for that matter making those less um appealing and less a problem by opening up by making it legal that's an argument that um i it's a libertarian argument that one of those things like when Kyle was bringing up the anarcho-capitalism that i still i still uh I think it holds a lot of a lot of weight that you that you decriminalize uh drugs and you'll see less Uh, abuse of drugs.
3: I do think that it would take a number of generations to melt down the unconscious bias to make it safe, though. Mm. I don't think you would see it in your lifetime. Mm. I think it would take a number of lifetimes in order for the unconscious bias that's still hooked into the shame Mm. and almost wired into the encoding of the framework. Uh, So I think it's helpful in this, but I think that, you know, I think at the core... All people act out in order to be caught and they want to be forgiven. But we don't. We incarcerate them and we blame them and we shame them and then they come out and just do the behavior over and over again because somewhere that demonic force wants to be released back to the light. Maybe. That's just in my head. I've got no place for that. Just
2: <laughs> Yeah.
3: Listen, we're running out of time. I
2: got one... well i don't want to listen i feel like i've been monopolizing this conversation too much anything that you want to talk about um or or you want to talk about before i throw this
1: on you no if there's anything you would you know no i'm
3: just uh so pleased to have spent has that been two hours almost two hours on the two (laughs) Tons podcast (laughs) in ohio cleveland from scotland amazing
2: well listen man we're super grateful that you came this has been one of the most fun Conversations we've had in a long time.
1: I do think that just because you're not here in person doesn't mean we can't do this anymore either. Oh, you know? Yeah, we
2: can
3: do this. We can do this. I'll fly back and like <laughs> yeah, We
2: can do this uh, electronically. We just have to figure out the time zone issues yeah. and, and coordinate. But honestly, we did that with Daniel all the time. Yeah. I'll make it work. we will have a giggle. Yes, good. sir. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Here's something that I've been thinking about recently, and I haven't had a chance to think about it. So I want to try to do that with you guys, and you tell me what you think. So there's this idea that we accept and modern science that says something like this there are fundamental laws behind reality that control how reality is right so the galaxies and the stars and the gravity and the everything that everything of biochemistry everything that exists exists because there are certain laws that go- govern or limit what is possible can we agree on that so the fundamental laws of physics they they somehow constrain what is possible um, and then I was thinking about DNA, how it how it formed, right? So here's the here's the uh, the uh, idea. Before life, there was a primordial soup. That's what they call it. The, the, the primordial oceans were a primordial soup of chemicals and uh, you know whatever, uh, energy and chemicals, and things were for mix attached to uh, some magical thing. Some they they would describe it as being random yeah conditions were right for the random thing to happen and suddenly proteins exist where they never did before conditions are perfect conditions are perfect uh that's a that's an inside joke we'll tell you about um so uh so that happens and then some other miracle like this happens where the proteins that are floating around now in the soup somehow bind together to form strands of proteins and that's the birth of dna and at, at some point that that you know, it, it all launches from there. And I was thinking about this. Science tells you that this is random, that there's this element of chaos in, in the world, and so random shit happens, and sometimes those random things are beneficial. That's what evolution – that's how they explain evolution. And this is the same process with the formation of DNA. And then I thought to myself, what about those laws behind the scenes that, that constrain what's possible, those physical laws? and now those physical laws are something that it's hard for me to separate from the idea of god by the way right god yeah, i think it's impossible right god must must somehow be responsible for the laws that that limit the potential of, of of being and um here's the idea what if those laws or god or whatever the structure or order is that i'm trying to call god right now what if it's that that the dna was following. That is the law that it's following when it binds together to become DNA. So here's the idea. It's like proteins couldn't help but become DNA. They didn't have any other choice. The laws of of physics, the laws of nature, the order that's imposed upon being was such that proteins would form from the soup and then from the proteins DNA would form. They're following a... They're following an ordered process, that there is no choice. DNA must become, or proteins must become DNA. What do you think of that? Like things are the way they are because they they must be. It's not random. It's not an accident of nature that, that things happen, that things change. I think that whatever God is is something like transformation. It's that fractal thing that's always changing and i just wonder if it's guided by the order that's imposed on it that that order i call god
1: i don't know i don't know exactly know what i'm saying but what do you think i'm saying i i don't know why really but for some reason it calls to mind you know the transcendental argument for god tag tell me uh it's the idea that four things for basically for anything to exist for there to be anything physical anything um you know ethereal anything like that there it has to be grounded in god um like like people will use math to prove god you yeah. know and the fact that math exists at all is the is the proof of god because if it was all just random there would not be math you know um and you know people people look for proof of god and the proof is that you, that that uh that it's here and that i don't know something about that seems it seems to go hand in hand with like it didn't have what you're saying that there was no other option that it had to have happened you know mm, i don't right. know why i don't really know what the the connection is there but it's it made me think of that something like fate
2: something like it being inevitable that that makes me connect it back to the to the idea of God. I don't know. I don't know. I'm struggling with it right now myself. I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Ross? Mm-hmm.
3: My mind went to thinking that that's the beautiful thing about God is that you can actually make anything fit anything. We could make it we can look at maths to make maths fit into but is that the is that us just looking down endless holes instead of just accepting that it is Mm. and is any of that real or is it I think that for me in the last five years I've come to think for me that I wasn't born into this world. I've came to hold a belief that this world was born into me. <laughs> yes. So it's almost like I don't think I die and go anywhere. I think this body just melts and I'm just in the same place I've always been. Mm. My soul is in the same. My soul doesn't move. Mm. So again, is it back to the argument that our own, our own arrogance as humans To believe that we are the top of the pyramid, that we are the top of the food chain, that we've got to go somewhere. But what if that somewhere's already here and we can't experience until this singularity drops? So all of those potentials and possibilities are all happening out there. And you could make maths fit that God exists or you could make that the proteins had to happen because of the laws that govern them. But there are no laws when you drop backwards and drop inwards. Mm. You know, for you will enter the narrow gate through the wide gate right. into the kingdom of heaven. Right. So when we drop back into the kingdom of heaven, anything is possible mm. and everything is possible. Yes. And miracles can occur. Yes. So yes. instead of looking at it out there where proteins are following the natural law, and I totally agree, yeah, that's possibly true in maths. Can equate that God exists and that nothing's random. But that's all happening out there
0: mm. Mm.
3: instead of us actually looking at it from a bottom-up model instead of looking at it top-down.
2: No, no. I feel like you you just brought your uh, your experience from India to bear on this conversation. That, that's what it sounds like. I have this fr- uh, friend on Twitter that I talked to, David Kolb is his name. He spent a bunch of time in India and he tells me this all the time. He says, um, when what I, what I try to talk to him about like being and non-being, I have this sort of uh, – you, you've heard me try to conceptualize the world as, as a reality is being composed of these two, being and non-being. And, um, and he'll always tell me like non-being, what you're describing as non-being isn't God. God is beyond even that. God is beyond even that. And he just continues to like um, uh, challenge me to think about it like that more abstract God is more abstract even than this idea of not being Um, I don't know where I was going with that just popped in my head this is an association
3: as you said that there I was thinking about the 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 the, the podcast that you did so many millennium ago around about Freya saying that God was created by the angels Mm. and then there's you know looking behind that and then behind that Mm. yes you know is there a God of God does God worship God's you know yeah has if it's you know does god have a god and you know if like all this stuff that we've been talking about jordan peterson jung and it's all about integrating the shadow yes then i just wish god would integrate his <laughs> and release us from suffering
2: do that do you remember <laughs> do you remember last episode i said did we give God a shadow. Do you remember we were talking about have we gave have it? we given God a, sh- we a Jungian nor- shadow? Absolutely. We created the devil, we did. We, we did. separated that idea from God. We gave God a Jungian shadow, just like we have.
3: Absolutely. But yes, but did God make the world, or did the world make God, or are they and we getting back? It's so difficult to attempt to bring these conversations which are multidimensional conversations into a two or three dimensional forum. It's really, really, you know, that's I think what we're all trying to do. I think that's what the three of us here are trying desperately to bring that into this two or three dimensional world. It's it's, um, the things that we think we own actually own us. Mm. So, you know... God, is God just a blank canvas that's acting out the holographic projection that we put upon it, which is Freud's theory of transference, Jung's theory of transference? Are we just transferring our duality onto God and that battle, you know, between God and the devil? So if God has got a shadow, then why is God not willing to integrate it? That's yeah. So rather than you contacting Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, just contact God and we'll get him on the podcast.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is as good a, as good a place as any to end. We'll get God on the podcast.
1: I, I do have one last yes. question. Will you huh? listen to this one? Hmm. Good question. Good question, Kyle. Because <laughs> we mentioned last night that Chris goes back and listens to his and it causes him to think new things about the content. Yes. I don't listen to any of them. I literally don't listen to any of the podcasts. Okay. Uh, mainly because I, like, don't like hearing my own voice. You okay. Know? So that's, like
3: that, that. That, that's a that's a fantastic that, – thank you. Honesty. Yeah, right? it's 100%. Okay. So I, I was sitting with a couple of girlfriends that I have back home and I said to them just in the last week, I went, so I um, I was telling them I was coming to see you and I was fantasizing about getting a picture with you and like, you know, just, you know, doing that. And I was unable to look at a picture of myself, uh, what, see myself in a video or hear my dulcet tones up until five years ago. I was not able to do that. And if you look at the trajectory, if you were able to look at the timeline on Facebook, uh, Twitter, where we self-identify these days, I would have had a profile picture of a vehicle or a motorcycle Uh, or a hill up until five years ago. I've only been able to look at myself in the last five years. So to answer your question, I would be able to listen to it back. I would possibly ask myself which aspect of me was listening to it before I did, but I would have no problem hearing myself now in comparison to where I was. So for you to say you don't listen to it because you don't want to hear yourself, I can very much relate to that from, you know, five years gone. yeah. So I could listen to it, but I would be curious which aspect of me was listening to it. And perhaps... Listening to it, but I would never know, would keep those endorphins either going or they would try and bring this experience into a box, which, if I'm being honest, we've always got an agenda, right? And theres I don't think there's such a thing as philanthropy that we don't give for free. Mm -hmm. But I desperately want to be able to give for free. I desperately want to be able to do that. And I I think that that's impossible because we're always getting something back because there is an exchange. This particular relationship, because it's new and virgin, I want it to grow exponentially and perhaps listening to it might limit it in some kind of way. But I wouldn't have an issue listening to it now. I would have done five years ago. I wouldn't have been here five years ago. But, you know, so... That's a long Scottish drawn out way of answering your very simple question. Holding on to the final moments of the Two Tongue Podcast and thinking we should do a 12-hour uh,
2: marathon. marathon. Listen, the best part of this is we get to listen to the outro music together live yes. in person.
3: <sighs> Listeners, you have no idea.
2: Kyle, you want to hit the button, the purple button at the bottom? Purple button at the bottom.
0: Well, there you we have, have it. it. That's one avenue explored, explore, but infinitely more still to go. go. I hope you enjoyed yeah, thinking along with us. With us. I, I know, know, I know. It's not, not easy, easy work. work thinking. thinking. <laughs> it's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for, for the, the company, company as, as we, we trek through, through, through this together.
2: together. Here's, Here's hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there.
1: I want to know what you did
0: there. In next episode.
2: Uh, You can stop that one and then the other one. Stop them both.